Let's pray. Loving Father, please speak to us from your word and help us to see the importance of things as you see them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the National Rifle Association in the US, which is very strong on the right to bear arms, has a famous line. I'll give you my gun when you prize it out of my cold, dead hands. The actor Charlton Heston was the president of the NRA about 20 years ago during the uh, presidential election in which Al Gore was running on a platform of tighter gun controls. And uh, Charlton Heston famously got up at the NRA's um, annual meeting holding a replica buffalo rifle, which I assume is a really big gun, and he said, as we set out this year to defeat the divisive forces that would take away freedom, I want to say those fighting words for everyone within the sound of my voice to hear and to heed, and especially for you, Mr. Gore, from my cold, dead hands. Charlton Heston liked his guns and he wasn't going to give them up without a fight. Well, Paul's letter to the Galatians is a fighting letter. And that's because Paul was defending something that was very precious to him. That is the gospel message that he preached, which was under attack in Galatia. His attitude was that this is something that I will die before I surrender. You'll only ever take this gospel away from me out of my cold, dead hands. You will only ever change this gospel that I've preached over my dead body. So Paul is sticking to his guns in this letter and particularly in its opening. And I hope that by the time we have finished studying the book of Galatians, we will understand why the gospel, as Paul preached it, as we have it in the New Testament, is so precious. There are a lot of people who believe that the church should be flexible. A broad church is a good and healthy church. There should be room for lots of schools of thought within the church. We don't want to be narrow and jingoistic as Christians. But when it comes to the issues that Paul defends in Galatians, we have to stick to our guns or everything is lost. I hope we'll see something of how important that is today, why we should never give one inch of ground on the message of God's grace. The main issue in the book of Galatians is whether the gospel can be law-free. In other words, are we saved and can we live by grace alone? Or do we need a bit of law? Is there at least a little bit for us to prove in order for us to be real Christians? Paul had told the Gentile, that is non-Jewish uh, people in Galatia, Trust Jesus and he is all yours. And in him is salvation and eternal life. It's as simple as that. It's grace. It's a gift for you to receive by faith. But now the people in Galatia were being told, well, Paul took you to step one. Now for step two, which Paul left out. You need some of the Jewish law to be a real Christian. After all, didn't Jesus say that he didn't come to abolish the law? 
And we get a sense of the urgency of this issue in the first 10 verses of chapter 1, which we're looking at today, where Paul comes out swinging. He doesn't waste any words, even in his greeting. And so as per my outline, which you can download on the website if you like, in verses 1 to 5, he shows the nature of the gospel as grace from God. And in verses 6 to 10, he shows that he is willing to fight for this, the importance of the gospel. So firstly, verses 1 to 5, the gospel is grace from God. Paul's emphasis in these verses is God's initiative expressed through the work of Jesus Christ. And this is the basic point that underlies all of Christianity. It is about grace that comes down from God to us, not effort that goes from us up to God. It's God's initiative. The first issue in verses 1 to 2 was that if you can't trust Paul, then you can't take his message too seriously and perhaps others have to come and correct it. But Paul straight away claims full authority as an apostle. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he wasn't voted in as an apostle by a church election. Uh, He wasn't appointed as an apostle by another superior apostle or special person. It was God the Father through the risen Lord Jesus who met Paul in a blinding flash on the road to Damascus and said, you're mine and I have a job for you. And in that moment, Paul realized that Jesus is everything and the law counts for nothing. We'll hear more about that next week. But straight away, Paul claims that his apostleship comes directly from God. And so his gospel also comes directly from God. And as he says here, he has a whole lot of brothers and sisters with him who recognize that claim. And now he is writing to the churches in Galatia in verse 2, who had also recognized his claim when they heard him preach the gospel and when they received it as the word of God. Uh, And you can read all about that in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Uh, We're talking here about places like Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, where Paul preached and they believed under great violent persecution from the local Jews. Uh, They believed that this was a man with a message from God. Uh, The people in Galatia recognized that once, but now they are being confused. Paul reminds them next what the gospel message is all about in verses 3 to 5. The gospel message is the message of how God's grace has come down to us in Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those two words, grace and peace, really sum up the Christian life. Grace is God's unmerited kindness. Uh, It's the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. It's the only hope of the sinner. It's the ground upon which all true Christians stand. Not our merits, but God's kindness. And the result of standing on that ground of grace is peace. If I stand in God's grace, then I have peace with God and peace in my life. Instead of having something to prove 
and never being sure whether I'm good enough, if I'm in grace, then I have peace, I'm secure. And grace doesn't come to us in the shape of uh, a vague, fuzzy, warm glow. No, grace comes to us in the shape of the cross upon which the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. In verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So the gospel message is a message of rescue. We were caught in the present evil age. We were enslaved in our sin. But God rescued us through Jesus' sacrifice so that the evil now has no hold on us. The gospel message is about rescue. When you're at the beach and you're caught in a rip that you can't escape and the lifeguard fishes you out and takes you to the shore, then you can't pretend to have contributed to that process in any sort of helpful way. It's the lifeguard who did the saving. And so here... In verse 5, to God the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The thing is that if in your understanding of salvation, there's any possibility that any glory could go to anyone other than God, then you have the gospel wrong. The nature of the gospel is that it is grace from God. And so Paul is saying here that his apostleship And hence his message comes from God through Jesus Christ. And the message is about the rescue that comes from God the Father in Jesus Christ. That's the nature of the message. It's God's message about God's salvation. That's the nature of the gospel. The problem in Galatia was that by introducing some religious law for people to follow, it was a bit less about God and a bit more about us. Uh, All of a sudden, it wasn't as simple as being rescued from the present evil age. There was now an element of having to claw your own way out by doing this or doing that. And so in response to that threat to the gospel, Paul comes out swinging. So in verses 6 to 10, we see that the gospel is worth fighting for, the importance of the gospel. Uh, In this letter of Galatians, there is no customary I give thanks to God for you because dot, dot, dot. No, Paul gets straight to it here. Do you remember what happened uh, with Israel on Mount Sinai when Moses was up the mountain receiving God's law and he came down with the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments in his hands inscribed by the finger of God himself and as he's coming down, he hears the sound of a big party going on in the camp. He finds Israel worshipping a golden calf that they had made to represent the gods who had brought them out of Egypt. In other words, they'd invented their own way to God and misrepresented God in the process. Moses throws the stone tablets down in fury and smashes them on the ground as if to say, well, if you're going to define your own relationship with God, we're not going to be needing these anymore. That's how Paul feels here. In fact, that incident may well be in Paul's mind as he writes here. He's like Moses in righteous consternation, except that instead of ignoring the law, like Israel did in Exodus, the Galatians were turning away from grace. 
The only way to God now is not through law, but through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by adding law back into grace, in effect, his opponents were formulating their own way to God. And so he says in verses 6 and 7, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. In Exodus 32, the golden calf chapter, the Lord says to Moses, they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. Likewise here, the Galatians were so quickly deserting. But notice that it doesn't say they were deserting the gospel, although that's true. Paul says they were deserting the one who called them in the grace of Christ. They were deserting God himself in his grace. They were worshipping a mutant God, a golden calf. As Paul says, the gospel of grace plus law is no gospel at all. And the God of such a false gospel is a false God. And so they were deserting the one who called them. You get the gospel wrong, you get God wrong, and it's him you are deserting. Uh, the other night, it was my uh, night to cook dinner, and I had a recipe for pressure cooker pork that I was uh, referring to. The thing is that not much of what went into the pot was actually prescribed in the recipe. Um, my teenage son and I stood there in front of the pot um, and fairly randomly chose spices from the spice rack and veggies from the fridge and chucked them in. It actually didn't turn out too bad, but I'm pretty sure that it wasn't what the writer of the recipe had intended. Well, the gospel that God intended has very exact and specific ingredients. Christ, grace and faith. If we invent extra or different ingredients like law, religion, good works, we're not going to get away with it. I got away with the pork dish because I was lucky, but uh, not with the gospel. The whole thing will be ruined if we change the ingredients. So Paul says here that the result of the false teacher's efforts in Galatia was confusion and a perversion of the gospel, very different from grace and peace. And the consequences of perverting the gospel are far worse than just confusion because the gospel of grace is the definitive message from God. That is, where you stand with the gospel of grace defines whether you're a friend of God or an enemy of God. It's the difference between heaven and hell. Paul says as much in verses 8 and 9. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul is saying there that the message of law-free grace in Christ is God's ultimate, perfect, unalterable word for now, uh, for, for from now on. He says that if he ever changes his tune, don't listen to him. 
He says, even if a mighty angel comes from heaven and preaches a different message of salvation, don't listen to him. This gospel of grace is the final definitive message from God. And if you don't have it, or if you have it and then you lose it or pervert it, you've abandoned God's way to God, the only way to God, and therefore you're doomed. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's what's at stake. So it's worth anything to hold on to the gospel of grace. It is the uncompromised priority under God, this message, according to verse 10. Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. It seems that Paul had been accused of compromise. Sometimes he lived like a Jew under the law. Other times he ignored the law and lived like a Gentile. He did it in order to preach the gospel to everyone, he says in 1 Corinthians. But his opponents said, see, he's a people pleaser. That's why he's telling you Galatians not to worry about the law. His gospel is a sellout. It's a compromise if he's leaving the bit out about the law. But Paul says, no, I compromise my Jewishness because Jewishness doesn't matter. Only Christ and grace matter. And that's the very principle that I will never compromise. You are not compromising if you tell someone that all they have to do is trust Christ's grace to be rescued. They have nothing to prove, no works to perform. It's not a compromise to, sell some, to tell someone that. That's not the people-pleasing option. In fact, that's the hard option to hold on to that message of grace. But that is the message that glorifies God and pleases Him. We might agree to disagree on all kinds of issues as Christians, but what Paul is talking about here is not a disputable matter. It's the gospel itself, which is the only way to God. It's the definitive message from God. It's the uncompromisable priority under God. There will only ever be compromise over my dead body. You will only ever take God's grace away from me by prizing it out of my cold, dead hands. And so the challenge here is defending the gospel, guarding the purity of God's grace as we trust and proclaim Christ. My wedding ring is made of gold. Uh, it's white gold. But the fact that it's white means that it's not actually pure gold. Um, in fact, hardly any gold jewelry is pure, jewelry is pure gold, even the yellow stuff. Um, this is alloyed with something else, like silver, and it's coated with something else again. I can't remember what carat this wedding ring is. It was a long time ago that I bought it, uh, but it might only be 12 carat, which is 50% pure, or uh, 18 carat, which is 75% pure, even though they just called it gold when they sold it to me. As Christians, when it comes to the gospel, we must not accept anything less than 24 karat grace. The gospel that we trust must be as close to 100% pure grace as it can be. It can't be alloyed with anything else. 
First of all, that means we have to defend the gospel in our own hearts. Why do you believe God accepts you? And when you face the final judgment, why should God let you into his heaven? Sometimes maybe I'm a bit tempted to feel self-righteous. Some Christians come across very self-satisfied. Other times, maybe I'm tempted to wonder whether I'm the real deal. I don't feel like I'm getting it right. I'm not good enough. Some Christians are very fearful. In both situations, I've slipped into thinking that I have something to prove rather than relying on God's grace. I need to defend grace in my own heart and keep coming back to my rescue and God's initiative rather than my efforts. Sometimes maybe I'm quite apathetic about it all, but I can't let that happen either. God's grace should really mean something to me. It should be treasured by every Christian. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And then the fight for the gospel of grace also plays out in the church and the world. Lots of groups talk about Jesus and salvation and grace and faith and justification and the Holy Spirit, and lots of groups call themselves church. But what do they mean by those words? And how do they put those ideas together? If a Christian person should fine-tune their theological antenna to any issue, it should be to the two big issues that Paul raises in this passage The first is authority. Who is the ultimate authority? What is the ultimate authority for us? In Galatians, Paul argues for his authority as an apostle. We need to argue for the authority of the Bible alone, which of course includes the letters of Paul and the other apostolic testimony. If we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than what the Bible teaches, let them be accursed. So we need to learn to read the Bible on its own terms if we're going to defend the gospel. That means not just picking texts from here and there and using them to make your own point, but knowing how the Bible works as a whole and working out the Bible's meaning uh, in each of its parts. The sole authority of the Bible is the first big issue in defending the gospel. And the second big issue here is salvation. How is a person saved? The biblical gospel is pure, 24-carat grace. We have nothing to prove. But you might be surprised how easily that gets muddled even by people with PhDs who write books about the Bible that you can buy in our local Christian bookstores. Beware and be clear on the issue of grace alone. The only time you'll take grace away from me is from my cold, dead hands. But it should be said that defending the gospel doesn't necessarily always mean pointing fingers and loudly accusing other people of being heretics. The best way of defending the gospel of grace is by preaching it loud and clear. We need to tell people that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. We need to tell them that they can have new life with God 
on that basis, that they can be forgiven and justified. It's all been done for them by Jesus. It's all a gift from God. God calls them in his grace, in the grace of Christ, to trust him and to have his peace. The best way to defend the gospel of grace is by seeing its beauty and by showing its beauty to the whole world. So let's go and do that. Amen.